welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, joined by yet another phenomenal guest. But before I formally introduce my guest of this week, I just want to, as I always do, properly thank my corporate sponsors, inclusive of AHA That Forever and Halton Honda. I want to thank the loyal listeners and the podcast subscribers. And I just want to say, following the live show, you, of course, will find the link of my interview of each week, also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on C-Suite Radio Network. So who is my guest of today? Well, my guest is a brilliant woman by the name of Anastasia Goroshkova. Sorry. Anastasia was born in 1990 in Katherineburg, Russia, one year before the USSR collapsed. She has many historical ties to Russia. Her ancestors were from St. Petersburg, their story reminiscent of Boris Pasternak's novel, Dr. Zhivago. Her godmother is a Romanov, currently 92, and exhibiting art in many of Russia's museums, most recently at the Tretyakov Gallery in Moscow. Anastasia's passion for writing was inspired by a huge home library containing the best of Russian and world literature. She remembers visiting orphanages when she was small, tagging along with her mother who interpreted to American adoptive parents. At that time, orphanages in Russia hosted three million children, but few got lucky. Anastasia's childhood impressions contributed to her desire to give back through humanitarian initiatives and to become a writer. Now, Anastasia is a writer for staff reporter for Corriere Canadiza, the only daily Italian English newspaper in Canada founded in 1954, whose publisher, Joe Volp, is a former minister of immigration in Canada. Corriere Canadiz has applied for a national news license. Anesthesia has been invited to become a screenwriter and host covering culture for the potential TV channel launching in 2019, or the online media channel should Courier Canadiza fail to secure the license at the end of November. Anastasia is a reporter for Novi's Vet, New World, a top literary journal of the Russian community which features Russian writers living in Russia and abroad. Elena Jukova, the co-founder and editor of Novi's Vet, is a well-known contemporary Russian author involved in many literary initiatives of the Russian community in Canada. Lyd- Lydumila Yuliskaya, Austrian State Prize for European Literature winner, debuted in Novi's Vet as a poet. Last month, Anastasia attended the Frankfurt Book Fair on behalf of Courier Canadiza and Novi's Vet, conducting over 30 interviews with representatives of Italian, Russian, and American publishing and media. She will be attending the Frankfurt Book Fair again in 2020 when Canada is guest of honour. The interviews will be featured in the upcoming issues of Courier Canadiza on the Courier Canadiza website and in the Novi's Vet Literary Journal. Anastasia is starting collaboration with Anne-Marie O'Brien, an instructor at Stanford University, and an off-random house author, Laura's Gift, a novel about pre-revolutionary Russia. Their book will be a POV of the American and Russian perspective of 1990s-2000s Russia. Anastasia has written two novels, 
a literary fiction and a historical fiction book, which are currently requested for review by several publishing houses, including HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, and Grove Atlantic NYC. The concept of her second novel has caught the interest of a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. In addition to writing, Anastasia merges creativity and business with a global launch, launch level as Chief Communications Officer of Semper 8 Capital, an advisory and investment firm founded by her brother, an HBS alumnus. Another successful chapter in her story of turbulent immigration. Welcome to the show, Anastasia. How are you, my friend? Hi, Lisa. It is a pleasure to be here on this snowy morning. And uh, actually, it's the first snowy morning in Toronto that we have this year. It's not as cold as it is in Russia, but it is very pleasant. <laughs> doing well? I hope you're doing well as well. I'm doing Wonderful, thank you. And I'm so grateful to be showcasing you today. And uh, we had the opportunity to have a lovely conversation yesterday in preparation for this. And I just want want to say I'm sorry I tripped up some of the pronunciation there my apologies for that I know you took me through a bit of a tutorial <laughs> but no uh, I just want to, but I'm I just sure we're going to get it want to, absolutely but more importantly I was very impressed not only by you uh, but this particular story because you know for everything and I don't want to focus on the negativity and the pessimism of what's often spewing to us in the news but what I love about your story is that we're going to be talking about the wonderful things about Russia and how you're going to be educating, re-educating people on, on some of the hidden gems as to what makes the country uh, what it is today and all the good things that have been birthed out of it, including you. Um, so I just want to say for everything that you're doing, and particularly with you being a millennial, the age in which you are and for everything that you have endeavored to do and where you are on the trajectory of your path right now is absolutely incredible. You've done more than most people do in a lifetime, truly. Um, Lisa, I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who has contributed to my journey. And as I continue forward, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to speak here today to introduce more wonderful people to our initiatives. And hopefully it will be an amazing mutual journey from now on. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't start and stop with radio. I know there's going to be many more conversations and what, whatever partnerships that get birthed out of this too. So let's just dive right in. Everybody who follows me knows that I'm very uh, organic and unscripted in my approach to interviewing my guest of each week. But, you know, the, the bio speaks for itself in terms of the inception of your journey. But I would be interested to know, you know, how is the assimilation? factor gone for you what are some of the hurdles that perhaps no matter how positive and optimistic and how much um, traction you've made in really fitting in uh, but also honoring your culture and your birth and where you come from and all of that you know what are some of the things that you think people such as yourself and other people who are also perhaps Russian immigrants or you know other immigrants from other countries what do you think some of the daily struggles might still be uh, I would say that uh, personally, for my family, we moved here uh, in 2001 when I was mm-hmm. eight years old. And the reason why we actually moved is that Yekaterinburg, the city where I'm from, which is one of the largest in Russia, uh, was facing a banking crisis in 1998. And my parents started thinking of immigration. Their hopes for stability were crumbling. And one of the major reasons why people choose Canada is because it has such a reputation of stability, comfort, and calm, which is unfortunately not enjoyed in many countries of the world today. So when we came here, uh, we viewed Canada as something of a lighthouse. 
after a very turbulent journey. And once we landed, we actually realized that the turbulent journey has just begun. And hmm. the situation itself uh, is quite um, difficult and quite unique for every single family which arrives here. And I would say that it's especially hard for the parents to find a new job. And uh, Canada tends to neutralize all of the former education that they had. So my parents were both PhDs in Russia and mm -hmm. professors. And my father was a professor of philosophy there and my mother a professor of linguistics. Uh, when they came here, uh, pretty much all of their diplomas, all of uh, what they've managed to achieve uh, started from square one. So uh, they really had to build their life from scratch. My mother got to find a job as, is, as an ESL teacher, so she didn't really have to switch that much. But mm -hmm. uh, my father, he, uh, he never worked as a professor of philosophy or in philosophy again. Uh, he became a massage therapist. So that's wow. how it And uh, for the children, it is also an extreme stress uh, because they feel the atmosphere of the house where the parents try as hard as they can to um, establish a positive and nurturing atmosphere. But uh, still, many things become apparent. So I remember many times when uh, my mother would come home and she would uh, just uh, lie on the bed, measuring blood pressure and trying to hide it from us, <laughs> from me and my elder brother. So uh, this all... <laughs> becomes part of the experience and uh, for the children when we we tend to get a little bit more lucky because mm -hmm. we get to go to school right away so we are assimilated into a system but it also becomes a fight because in the end it's not a fact that you will be completely accepted and the factor of learning for your home is always present so in the end it's this one competition for survival well, you know what, I, I, and I understand that. I mean, my parents are, are immigrants themselves and, um, you know, a little bit different. It's not as much of a, a culture shock, perhaps. But, uh, you know, I think what you just said there was really key. I think people who have to fight for their survival, even if it's not an immigration story per se, you know, whether it's fighting for your house, fighting for your job, fighting to be heard, fighting to be seen, I think the people who have the fortitude, the resiliency, uh, and the relentlessness in which to embark upon that day in and day out, regardless of the, the critics, the skeptics, uh, the racists, the whatever. I think the people who endeavor to do this over and over again, these are the people like yourself who end up, you know, doing the lovely phenomenal work in which you are doing, where you wind up on podcasts, where you're connecting with big publishing companies, you know, because it's like, you know what? You're not going to define where I'm going in life. I'm going to define where I'm going in life. And at the end of it, we're all human beings. Whatever the circumstances that brings people to a particular country or departing another country to go to another one, for whatever the reasons are related to that, you know, I love immigrants. I think they're the hardest working people on the face of this planet. And I think they get a bad rap based on ignorance, misunderstanding, misperception, and misrepresentation in the news. So I just want to say, I think you having that innate fight in you and your parents obviously being as brilliant minded as what they are and having set the path and the tone in motion for you, uh, for what you've amassed for yourself in current time. Um, I think that's working for you. I mean, it's not to say that there haven't been challenges for you 
or, you know, you get kind of maybe sick of rationalizing or justifying or qualifying your existence here in Canada. Uh, but I think fundamentally, if you've got that burning, yearning um, gumption in you, not only are you a survivor, you're a thriver. And this is where people do phenomenal things on the planet and get, you know, recognizable, their accomplishments, their books, uh, their whatever. So you're super duper in inspiring, Anastasia. And I hope that you keep using whatever resistance that comes before you. I hope you turn that into fuel, rocket fuel for your journey. Thank you, Lisa. I, I truly believe that we're in the epoch of global connections, especially with all of the digital uh, technology we now enjoy and of discovering the roots which really bond us as humanity, a common humanity. So one of the things that I've noticed uh, when I came over and which I personally lacked is that at school we didn't really get a much of a multicultural education, although uh, most of the children in my class were very multicultural. So we didn't get to learn uh, about the best what, of what each of us could truly offer. So one of the things that I would really recommend, uh, I guess, was to overlook um, the curriculum of the educational system here to incorporate more of the knowledge, more of the wisdom of all of the different cultures which contribute to the mosaic, which is Canada. And this way, the acceptance and the appreciation could escalate. Beautiful. And so why don't you share with us a little bit of your adventure, your journey, and what came out of the whole Frankfurt Book Fair? I'd love to hear more about that, as I'm sure the listeners would, too. So the thing about the Frankfurt Book Fair is that when I started working for uh, Carriere Canadese, and when I heard uh, about uh, the potential of the multicultural uh, new channel, uh, I thought that uh, it would be great to expand our connections abroad, especially mm -hmm. to Italy, uh, because we have 1.6 million Italians uh, living in Canada. And Carriere Canadese, which was founded in 1954, is the only daily Italian English uh, newspaper for the community. Mm -hmm. So um, I talked to Joe Volpe, who's our, our publisher, and um, I recommended that going to the Frankfurt Book Fair for me to take interviews of Italian publishers in different facets of actual publishing, from children's books to adult books, would be a very good way for uh, the community here to remember where they come from, especially mm -hmm. for this generation, and to also be updated about the current news uh, of which are happening in Italy and uh, of the best writers there. And also it would be a chance for the Italian community there to learn more about what uh, is being done here. And the theme went for Novi Svet, the literary journal from the Russian community for which I'm also reporting. So after getting a mandate from Career Canadese, I started looking for those ways to expand us. And the Frankfurt Book Fair has always been a goal of mine. And I started reaching out to over 4,000 people within three weeks, uh, at first through LinkedIn. And then when I discovered the list of the actual attendees to the fair, and I don't even remember if I slept at that time, but <laughs> an extremely touching moment was when one person from LinkedIn who never even met me before wrote to his friend, who turned out to be a, a publisher of the Metropolitan Museum and a simply ingenious translator from French an author and many things more. And that was my first book interview for the Frankfurt Book Fair. So uh, what would some um, say is a complete stranger reached out and that's how it started going. And I also realized that uh, you should never direct your fire on one spot in the universe, but on the entire universe and shine in all directions. You need to be really open to the world and to all of the good which may come to you from any fantastic and expected direction. Absolutely. So I 
I got over 40 answers altogether from uh, people ready to meet from the US, from Russia, and from Italy. And uh, to be honest, I was anxious writing to Russia because the thought that I could get rejected by my own home country was a very numbing one. Mm. But nearly everyone replied uh, from the people in the museums I had visited as a child to Irina Prokhorova, the publisher of the New Literary Observer, to the Institute of Translations. And mm-hmm. everyone was ready to meet, very enthusiastic, very friendly, and very open to exploring further opportunities together. So um, at the Frankfurt Book Fair, I met a number of fascinating individuals. Uh, among them were Ripley's, believe it or not, this awesome aquarium we actually have in Toronto, and which is yes. and power. Um, some of those top Italian literary agents who shared exciting news of upcoming projects. And the oldest Italian publishing house, uh, Maria T. 1820, which was mm-hmm. founded in 1820. <laughs> so um, I have uh, friendly invitations to a number of European events and an invitation to write an article for the APA, which is uh, the American Psychological Association. And, Beautiful. Um, there have been a number of very interesting offers, and, and among them was an invitation to the International Book Fair in Turin for next year mm-hmm. by, uh, by the European Journalist Association and Alpina Publishing, which are based in Turin. And um, another event will be a series of meetings devoted to fostering new relationships between Europe and Eurasia. And uh, they have a very curious project um, on which I would like to collaborate now and which they also invited me is to expand the theory that European and Russian cultures are intertwined because of their common experiences. And it will be a great uh, chance to explore a cultural dialogue between Russia and Europe and the rest of the world through the prism of literature, contemporary and classical. So um, another interesting interesting idea that they have uh, is a project called the Cultural Silk Road which would mm-hmm. incorporate the best of past civilizations like ancient Greece and Rome to build a new European identity, which is completely apolitical, people-focused in terms of uh, defining and uh, preserving a common human heritage. And it sounds pretty neat, especially in the context of uh, multicultural Canada. So I really look forward to exploring that. Brilliant. Well, again, congratulations on all your accolades and success and all the lovely things you have yet to look forward to, you know, going back to the Frankfurt Book Fair again in 2020. Uh, that's obviously indicative of people thinking you're a good representative and thinking that, you know, you represent everybody well. And it was a good experience this go around. So, you know, you said something, uh, you know, about two minutes ago that I really want to revisit and really hone in on for the benefit of the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. So you talked about, you know, the universe and being open and you talked about goals and things of that nature. So let's extrapolate a little bit upon that. You know, I think when people when people sometimes look through the lens and they look at other people's journeys or they look at their success or their accolades or their opportunities and they think, you know, this person obviously has something going on in their life that I'm missing out on and they make these assumptions for what that might be. No, I think when you are completely open and receptive and you get exceptionally clear for what it is you deem your purpose and your journey to be, uh, you're leaving the room open for all the yummy things to flow in your direction. You know, so there's no coincidence to that. We've talked about that behind the scenes, Anastasia. So when you first came to Canada, you know, and I know you were young, but when you got older and you got clear about, okay, this is what I believe I'm meant to do. What was your first identified goal for self? And how did you go about carving that out? How did that become, uh, you know, cathartic or, or um cognizant in your mind did you start writing your goals down did you have a list and you said okay this is my plan of attack this is where i'm going 
these are the people I need to connect with. And this is, this is what the plan is for myself. Actually, I believe that came in a few different stages. And the very first one was me growing up in a house full of books. Because my great-grandmother, when she fled the revolution with her family in 1917 and came to Ekaterinburg, she regretted the loss of a very large family uh, library in St. Petersburg. So she started mm -hmm. collecting books during the Soviet times, and my parents uh, continued the tradition. And by the time I was born, there was a huge library of books at my home. And uh, the bookshelves themselves were about 10 feet high, as the ceilings of uh, Soviet-era apartments were much higher than an average North American apartment. And to mm. my parents, I would climb those bookshelves when I was only two or three and insist on seeing the books on the highest shelves. And for years, I started distinguishing the names on the covers, like Lermontov, Tolstoy, Goethe, Dumas. It was, it was a universal mm. atmosphere of knowledge. And... Uh, Many books were real encyclopedias of wisdom from all over the world. So I really soaked up that atmosphere. From an early time, uh, I felt that I could become a writer. And when I got older and times were especially tough for my parents, uh, mom was asked to become a translator for an adoption company, which helped adopt children to the United States. Uh, Beautiful. She was, she was very, very rarely home those days. And mm -hmm. uh, she had the permission to take me along with her. So I got to visit many children's homes and secret homes when I was a child myself. And I couldn't bring the children any mm -hmm. stories. So I would retell them fairy tales from my book collections. And then gradually I started making up my own. That's when I realized how profound and inspiring words and uh, giving back would actually be. And later on in Canada, uh, when I was uh, 14 years old, I, I they discovered a very bad case of a blood disorder anemia for me. And they recommended that I go on homeschooling for uh, the rest of uh, my high school experience. So for about three years, I got to study independently and to also choose my own extra curriculum. And uh, I went through as many books as I could, through as many uh, say, uh, treasuries of knowledge as I could find. And in the end, I realized just how in love I am with humanity and uh, with the different, uh, I would say, cultural bridges that we have built collectively over the centuries and I wanted to travel those bridges and at a certain point I felt myself overflowing that I had something to say and uh, the first thing that I also wanted to do was to go to Europe so eventually I lived in Europe for about uh, three months in Paris and I traveled uh, well, I would say from Italy to Paris to England back to Paris and while I was there, um, I, I actually considered staying and attending the Sorbonne and to continuing studies uh, for literature there. But uh, at, at one moment, I realized that uh, we should be in a country where we can uh, completely manifest our full potential. And suddenly I had uh, something of a realization similar to uh, the movie by um, Woody Allen, uh, Midnight in Paris, that mm -hmm. I want to go back potentially to Canada, especially since uh, my grandmother, she suffered a stroke at the time. So on the day when I took my documents to the Sorbonne and wanted to find out more about uh, applying, uh, they turned out closed because it was Easter. So I went mm -hmm. to the Pantheon, to the grave of Victor Hugo, who has always been a great mentor of mine. While I was standing there, uh, there was a lady with uh, many school children uh, following her, and she was saying, move it to the children. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> it all responded, and I thought, well, maybe I should move. 
back. And I was already beginning to write my first novel. And uh, I came back to Canada and I started pitching agents. And uh, I got an offer from the very first literary agent that I ever pitched, which right now I can't really even explain how it happened because uh, it's the same as winning a lottery, I guess. And uh, it didn't last very long because uh, first they offered me uh, ebook publishing and mm -hmm. to pay for the promotion and uh, for the entire publishing process. So uh, I immediately went uh, to work to pay it off. And uh, nine months later, after they took all the info, they said that, uh, you know, uh, your agent left. And uh, I'm, we're sorry, but you can't have the contract anymore. And by that time, I already edited my first book and I was talking to my editor and she said, why don't you try a conference instead? There's a very good one in uh, British Columbia. But because mm -hmm. my site's in New York and things already started happening there, I couldn't give up in that direction. So I just started, uh, you know, sending things off to different conferences in New York and got accepted to the New York Pitch Conference, which is uh, or was the only in the world where authors could uh, talk to um, acquisition editors from publishing houses directly and tell them what their work is about. So uh, that way I got requests for my first book. I came back to Canada. Uh, and um, while I was waiting for another editor in New York to uh, pair up my manuscript, another year passed. So I realized that uh, it is always a very long journey to uh, manifest what you truly want, unle uh, unless you try yourself in different directions and potentially with different people who could help you to achieve that goal. So I really uh, taught myself a lesson to never, ever wait for too long. Beautiful. And I, I concur with that wholeheartedly. And I think it is important in today's world when you're talking about competition, when you're talking about a lot of similar people being in the space, things being oversubscribed or oversaturated. It's very important uh, in terms of getting your message out there and really standing apart and being heard and owning the stage. You have to diversify, right? So it's not okay to just write one book you got to keep writing the books you got to keep writing the blogs you've got to interface with people you've got to it's not about um you know just marketing it's about making genuine connections it's about endeavoring to do collaborations and embark upon partnerships etc cetera, etc cetera. so you've navigated all of the working pieces that would be essential for you to be where you are today and where you're going. I mean, some people struggle with that. They've got to just be tunnel vision. They just focus on one thing, the idea of multitasking, a lot of working pieces, even though it's for a common end goal, becomes overwhelming to the point where it stifles people's progress and then they don't get anything off the ground. So the fact that you recognize that and you're living your life accordingly, there's no coincidence and there's no surprise for all these different connections you're making in the media world, the literary world, the publishing world, World, uh, book fair world, you know, and, and all on the international stage. So and now podcasting. So I think the way that you've crafted this for yourself, Anastasia, is very strategically brilliant. Um, it's not something that comes easily to people. So you should be very proud of that. Uh, you know, the one thing that I also learned is that you should never let uh, a moment of rejection or a feeling of isolation stop you because uh, 
unfortunately for the majority of young people that I see today or people in general is that they get one no response or a few no responses and they tend to forget that there is a 7 billion opportunity world out there and yes. uh, ev everybody is striving for one goal and that goal is happiness and uh, happiness is best achieved when we are open with each other so the one thing about uh, Canada that uh, I also tend to, uh, to notice is that we are a very young cult, uh, country, a multicultural mosaic. It's not really a melting pot like in the U.S., but it's still uh, enough time to build a cultural foundation. And presently, tolerance uh, must be the glue holding the mosaic pieces together, which is a wonderful quality in itself. However, tolerance can also manifest as um, a tolerance to problems, to abusive behavior, to cultural stagnation, to personal stagnation, and lack of enthusiasm. And mm. definitely to depression, which affects about 20% of the Canadian population. So um, when I speak to a lot of young uh, Canadian people today, they also are affected by this um, you know, feeling of stagnation, that nothing is really happening. But in truth, there are so many different uh, venues and so many different people who you can truly approach, as long as you even have the internet, the whole world is connected. So um, as with the Frankfurt Book Fair, I spent... 4,000 messages uh, before I got about 30 interviews booked for the Frankfurt Book Fair itself. So quite a wow. lot of people can't reply. And uh, quite a lot of people actually mentioned that they have never heard about the event, even though it's the number one cultural event for books in the world. And those are actually people who work in the uh, New York Times, for example. They said that they have never heard about it. Wow, so that surprises me. That, that surprised me as well. So it, it just goes to show that uh, we tend to live in different, um, you know, isolated corners of information at certain points in uh, patterns of uh, thoughts, which uh, tend to restrict us. So, uh, so, so the best thing to do is to uh, be able to detect those uh, thought patterns in yourself and to be able to uh, dissolve them. And this way, you will be able to find that common foundation and you will realize that you're actually a representative of very ancient, very, very strong culture, which is a human culture in itself. And then you will treat every other person who you meet as a representative of that culture as well. And this way, even if you do encounter some rejection, you will simply say that there is another opportunity and you will understand that nothing can truly stop you on your path because that fire, it will will evaporate whichever obstacle stands in your way truly very true very true and some of what you said also alludes to the whole topic of accountability you know in terms of the you know if things don't happen fast enough or if things aren't always a resounding yes uh, or not everything's getting off the ground or people aren't necessarily receptive to your idea or your manuscript or whatever the case may be you know you can't just use that as an excuse in which to stop the momentum the momentum has to continuously keep going because as you pointed out and you're very accurate in saying so you know it, you've with your 4,000 emails prior to getting back 30 responses 40 was 30 40 for responses I mean this is what you have to do but that's a level of discipline and it's a work ethic that needs to be honed and it needs to be understood things are not going to fall on people's lap we are in an oversaturated industry whether you're talking about authors publishing podcasting anything 
really within that space. So knowing that there's going to be people who are going to have different skill sets, they're going to be probably in some cases more highly connected, they're going to have perceivable advantages over what you might have. But the one thing people can never take away from someone else, which truly at the end of the day does stand apart from everyone else, is the resiliency and the tenacity to keep going. You hustle, you grind, you say, okay, yeah, got a rejection here, got a rejection there. But you know what? I think sometimes those rejections are meant to happen because then it forces you to go deep within, to reevaluate, reassess, and question, to what degree am I really serious about this? To what degree am I completely invested and all in, and am I then willing to go to the wall regardless of the occasional uh, or consistent for a period of time rejections? And so I think it challenges us to really set the center stage for, is this really important to me? And I think these are questions that every once in a while we periodically have to ask ourselves. Just because you're good at something or you envision something, you know, sometimes we need these universal reminders to challenge us, to challenge ourselves, to go, okay, how hungry are you? How much do you really, really want this? How much is this part of your uh, purpose? And if you can instantaneously say, well, it's a no-brainer, of course I'm meant to do this, then you just turn it around. You just keep going and you keep going. Uh, so I really attribute a lot of that to uh, it becoming non-negotiable within yourself. You know, I cannot ever say or think it's an option in which to quit. You've got to have that no quitting mentality and you have to be able to take massive action every single day because things are not going to fall in your lap and you can't expect other people to spoon feed you the knowledge or the opportunities or the connections. You've got to hustle and prove that you've earned your space to get recognized or to get that yes or to get a publisher or whatever the case may be and for which each person is individually endeavoring to do. So I think, obviously, your work ethic speaks volumes, uh, your tenacity, and even doing that again with things perceivably working against you where you might be considered at a disadvantage because you fall into immigration or immigrant status. Um, but I, this is why I love immigrants, because they don't use that as an excuse. And when people who are here in Canada come from the mindset of, you know, they're taking all our jobs. Well, you know what? You could have gotten off the couch. You could have reprioritized what was important in your life. You could have fought for that job. You could have opened up your own business. You could have opened up your own chain. You could have got something trademarked. Um, so this, you know, blaming other people for where people fall short in their own life, I don't buy into that. And this is what differentiates the people like you, Anastasia, from the people who are pointing the finger and, you know, crying victimology. So I say good on you once again. You know, I would also say that uh, a lot of young people, they seem to be living in a bit of a uh, digital box these days. Yes. Uh, so they don't really realize that there's so much potential outside and they do require some guidance or uh, to develop a so-called, um, I would say, inner compass, which would navigate them on the better direction. And uh, what sort of upsets me is that occasionally I do meet young people of second generation um, of immigration. And, for example, somebody, a uh, German that I met a little while ago, who did not know who Goethe or Schiller were. So uh, they do tend to uh, lose the ties to, uh, to um, their culture. And mm. also they tend to lose the ties to this uh, perception that we are part of a greater multicultural family here because you always defend your family. And uh, once you learn uh, 
the common values that we all share here, you will not be able to stay indifferent. So enthusiasm does tend to occasionally dissolve in Canada, but not completely into Canada, although Canada is an amazing country, which I believe has an incredible potential on the global stage. And a lot of people are working very hard. And uh, one actual uh, letter that I received while I was sending the, those 4,000 emails was from an actor, a voice actor, who uh, told me that he lived in Tokyo for about 10 years. Then he came to Canada and for about another 10 years or 15, he has not found a ray of light. So it's a very competitive, very cutthroat business. So there are so many different and uh, you know, d different challenges that people face, but they sh must always realize that in the end, uh, persistence and the discipline and also a clear vision of what you truly want is where you must always continue your journey. So in the end, I truly believe that any person who persists and who is not afraid of reaching out is going to get there. Absolutely. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I couldn't have said it better myself, Anastasia. And so I imagine you would probably, there's a tight community within Canada uh, and for where you are in Toronto. Um, you know, are you aware of all your fellow Russian immigrant, you know, brothers and sisters from abroad? Like, have you formulated a tight community? Because I can imagine you would be quite a role model and a mentor for a lot of people uh, who really are looking at what it is that you're doing regardless of age and going, okay, if, if Anastasia can make this adjustment and adapt and assimilate, uh, but still make it work for her in a way that she's honoring her spirit and she's getting busy every single day and making this work. You know, can you tell us a little bit about the Russian community within Toronto and, you know, what that looks like in terms of you all propping each other up and helping each other because you don't know what you don't know? What does that look like? Uh, when we moved here in 2001, uh, my parents had a choice uh, to either move to the Russian community, which uh, tends to stay in a in a region called North York, or yes. to try out a topical, which is more internationally connected, but very close to North York nonetheless, about 10 minutes by highway. So we ended up living in a topical. So right away, we got integrated into more of an international community. However, I have very close ties to the Russian community itself. And that is how I ended up working for uh, Novi Svet as a freelance reporter. And that is actually the Russian community's a number one literary, uh, literary journal. And it was founded in 2013. And that was one of the ways that the Russian community uh, tends to share its concerns and uh, its uh, feelings and uh, to continue inspiring each other. Because it instantly gained interest and acclaim for being the first and only at that time uh, literary journal of this kind ever published in Canada. And uh, one of the co-founders is my mentor in Russian, Alona Zhukova, who is the famous Russian-Ukrainian writer. And uh, one of whose bestsellers is actually about the Romanovs. And she's mm -hmm. also vice president of the Toronto Russian Film Festival. So the Russian community, uh, we, we celebrate a lot of uh, different uh, holidays, for sure, just as any community here does. And uh, it, about two weeks ago, we had a Russian gala ball, the 64th of its kind. And initially, it was uh, for descendants of nobility who could only attend, as far as I know. 
but now it is much more open and anybody from any community can attend. So even the festivities themselves are becoming more uh, liberal and more open and more ready to accept people of different communities to come and join. That is the great thing about Canada is that it has the potential of so much dialogue. So uh, actually when I was at the Frankfurt Book Fair, uh, the Italian and the Russian publishers uh, were very, very curious about uh, about establishing more ties to uh, the Canadian people here who are of Russian and Italian descent. So um, I think that uh, with years, we will discover even more of a foundation for initiatives in business and in literature and in, in different spheres to uh, interconnect us even more. And this way we will gain that sense of support which will allow us to accept each other and to work towards uh, achieving our personal and mutual goals. Absolutely. Agreed. So in terms of your books, let's, let's talk about the first one. Talk about the second one. Uh, where can people find them? Where can people buy them? Do you do book signings? How can people obtain a, a personally inscribed copy? And is there a book number three on the horizon? Uh, actually, the book number three is the collaboration that I'm going to start now with Anna Maria O'Brien, the right. instructor at Stanford University. Uh, so what, what is very curious is that uh, when I, I was born, on the very day when I was born, Michael Gorbachev was making a speech uh, about two blocks away. So my father had a very tough time making it to the hospital because there was such a crowd. And Anne-Marie herself, she uh, met Gorbachev uh, when she was traveling in Russia. So that was one connection that we made when we were talking on LinkedIn, because that is where I met quite a few wonderful people. <laughs> and uh, she uh, suggested that we write a book together uh, after she read some of my childhood essays about Russia, about uh, St. Petersburg, Ekaterinburg, and also uh, the Caucasian mountains uh, where near uh, to Sochi and mm -hmm. uh, decided that the project should be a friendly one uh, because there's so much uh, propaganda these days about Russia, about America from both sides. And mm -hmm. it would be interesting to establish more of a dialogue through the stories of the young people from the 90s who grow up in Russia while meeting Americans uh, to uh, 2010s. And some of those characters will be based on the children whom I personally met when I was traveling to the orphanages with my mother. So mm -hmm. it will be a very personal project as well. And uh, for my other two books, uh, they are now requested by nine publishers. So uh, right now they are waiting to review them. And mm -hmm. uh, now I'm actually looking for a new literary agent uh, since uh, the one who offered me the ebook publishing initially left. But uh, now I'm also talking to several people uh, from uh, London who are considering a project with me based on the Romanov, so that could open the door to uh, re-approach re the publishers. Because in the publishing business, you cannot uh, submit a work to a publisher unless it is um, submitted by an agent first. And because most of my offers came from uh, actual conferences like the New York Pitch Conference, where you can directly pitch um, an acquisition editor, I sort of got to skip uh, the second, the first stage of the agent, but now I need to go back to it. <laughs> so I, I ended up jumping a little bit ahead. 
Well, but that's that's who you are. That's your DNA, right? Like, let's buy, let's buy, uh, pass some steps. Let's do what we need to do, and let's keep going. So, you know, you'll probably find it maybe a little bit difficult to even keep up with yourself, given your momentum and your pace and how quickly you're scaling. Do you find that somewhat to be true on different occasions? Uh, you know, I taught myself meditation, and yeah. it really helps. Uh, because in the end, you tend to observe things and make more rational decisions, mm. almost decisions. Uh, but also, I feel that uh, sometimes I do tend to have a lot of energy. And I've often been told that even when I, I was taking courses at the Second City for almost two years, uh, which is, uh, you, you could say, one of the best and well-known uh, theatrical and improvisational venues in North America. And I have also always been told that I have the most energy in the room. And, <laughs> and I, my challenge was to actually tone it down where uh, the majority of uh, my classmates, they had to, you know, amplify theirs. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say that quite often and quite consistently, you know, never dull your own shine, never dim your own light. You know, if anything, you are the example for how to bring people up. You know, we're really trying to always aspire to maintain the consistency with operating at your highest vibrational level. And, you know, we deviate from that if trying to placate other people who are scared to play a bigger game in their own lives for the sake of feeling comfortable around us, they expect us to dummy down. Don't ever entertain that as an option. Honor your true spirit and keep going. And then you will continue to attract the like-minded people who share your energy, who share your hunger, who share your passion. Um, you know, because these are the encouragers. These are the people who are going to give you opportunities. These are the people who see in you what perhaps other people who don't have goals, don't have aspirations, will never be capable of seeing within you. But as long as you see it within yourself, fundamentally, that's all that matters, truly. That actually reminded me when uh, I was at school, I was always an overachiever. So mm -hmm. I felt that I needed to earn uh, the best award for the best of everything. Of and course. <laughs> somehow it ended up that I was uh, the perpetual nominee. So I always ended up number two. And, <laughs> uh, and one day when I was in grade eight, uh, I was on the uh, committee of the yearbook. And they gave me a long list of the students to count how many um, how many clubs they have been involved in over the years. And if mm -hmm. you get one uh, clubs over the three years, you would receive the most beautiful of all the awards there at school. And uh, I was alone in the room with a pen in my hand. And then I turned the page and I see my own name. And I had only, <laughs> I had only 30, not 31. So technically, I could give myself that award, but I realized that it is not about the awards, even if you want it for three years. It is about the sense that you are confident enough, that you've gained enough knowledge to proceed forward. And uh, I did not end up giving myself that award, but I walked off with a better one. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Well, you know, that's also part of your spirit. When we talk about you being a humanitarian, uh, you know, and I want to personally thank you here on the airwaves, uh, Anastasia, because since we initially made contact, and I believe it was over on LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn, love the people over on LinkedIn, um, you know, you have since, you know, been plugging my show giving email introductions, letting it be known. You might want to be on Lisa's show. I've talked to her and, 
you know, you've been absolutely lovely that way. And I've never, you know, I don't ask people to do that. I, you know, it, it's organic. If you feel that's something that you want to do for your own personal reasons and you want to give people another opportunity, but what you've indirectly done, it's not just about me and my show. You're looking at other authors. You're looking at other peers. You're looking at people who are on the same trajectory that you are, and you're not hogging the limelight. You're saying, you know what? I want you to go shine too. I don't know if you know that this platform exists or that this person, Lisa McDonald, and this global radio podcast uh, platform exists, but you know what? Why don't you see if you can get on her show? And as a result of that, I've been speaking to quite a few people uh, because you initiated that. So for what you've done for them and what you've done for me, I mean, you're consistently paying it forward and being of service. And I think karmically, that will always come back in greater spades and dividends than perhaps what you're even giving out. And I know you don't give to receive, but generally, the, you, you know, the, the laws of the universe karmically, that's how it works. So for all these awesome things that are continually happening for you, and certainly not to negate the fact that a lot of that comes from your massive action taking and you taking your own initiative and taking uh, discipline and having a really hardcore work ethic. Um, but you know, you put those two things and you pair them together. This is why people are looking out for you. This is why people recognize that extra special shine in you. Um, but being cognizant of time, Anastasia, these this in, these interviews always go way too quickly for my liking. And you're always welcome to come back. You know that. Uh, but very quickly, where can people reach out to you? Where can people connect with you? Uh, first of all, uh, there is my LinkedIn. <laughs> the trusty LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, then, th then there's also the Career Canada website. Anybody is welcome to check it out. We will find out, um, hopefully by the end of this month or maybe the beginning of December, whether we do uh, receive the license uh, for the TV channel where mm -hmm. I will be handling the culture. So, anytime anyone wants to reach me through Career Canada, they're welcome to do so. Uh, it is possible to also reach me uh, by uh, my email at Semperate uh, Capital. Uh, where I am working as chief communications officer. So anytime, welcome. Uh, that will be a business side of me. And then there's the literary side, which is actually on a blog uh, that I'm updating actually today because I have neglected it for about half a year. I did not expect that anybody was reading it after I ended up posting just two or three articles. Then I checked it out and there's about a thousand followers. So now I feel responsible <laughs> to update. <laughs> And I, I will send you the link to that one uh, to share, <laughs> I guess. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, around Toronto, anytime. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I just want to say once again, Anastasia, thank you so much. You've imparted a lot of wisdom here and insight. You're doing amazing things in the space. And I couldn't be more honored and privileged for having had this opportunity to showcase you and to know that we will continue in our journey of collaboration and helping each other out in whatever capacities are available to us. To the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for tuning in to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald here on the Contact Talk Radio Network. To Again, thanking my uh, corporate sponsors. And I want to thank C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can always see the podcast link on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Very clear on my purpose here, which is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. I want to wish everybody a safe and wonderful weekend. And we'll be back here again next Friday with another great guest and more great content. So I want to wish you a fantastic, safe weekend. Take care. All my best. Love and gratitude. Bye-bye. <laughs>
You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.